Well, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and yes, yeah, Scott gave me a chapter in, um, in John 5, which we'll talk about today. And he says, it doesn't have to be about Advent. I'm like, oh, but it does. It does. <laughs> I love Advent. It's true. It's true. Well, um, last weekend, oh, I'm this isn't going on tightly. Last weekend, my family got back from California where we spent Thanksgiving, and we had not been down to California since um, fall 2019. We have family down there, and of course, we're from California originally, and so so much of the state, it just is, a, is very meaningful to us, and friends kind of scattered throughout the state, but we were heading down to spend time with my husband's family for the holiday, and we decided on the way down to just take our time and see some of our favorite spots. And then on the way back, um, we would take I-5 and just go as fast as we could. Um, But on the way down, we just wanted to see everything. And so our very first stop um, was in Walnut Creek, California, which is the Bay Area right outside of San Francisco. And we saw some friends who, when we were together, we realized, oh my goodness, we haven't seen each other in 10 years in person, which time just flies. The last time that we had seen each other was actually in England, Um, My husband and I, when we booked the tickets, we were in that dual income, no kids space. So we just decided a spontaneous trip to England was what we wanted to do over the holiday. But by the time that the trip arrived, um, we had learned that I was expecting our first child. And so with a lot of excitement, we went on this trip and and, um, it was still a secret. Uh, We hadn't even told all of our family members yet. That was going to be a Christmas surprise for a lot of them. And it was the beginning of December. So we got on this plane, left Southern California, and went over to visit our friends um, who were living and working in Cambridge in England at the time. And they were close to having a child as well, which they had encouraged us to come as soon as we could because they still had a spare room, but there would not be a spare room in just a few months. So... We had this like last opportunity to hang out as couples who, they had one child, but they had not had their second yet. So we got there, and we had told them, one thing you should know is that I am expecting. And to be together um, with these friends, um, both of us, the, um, my friend Kara and I, expecting babies at the same time, um, was so fun. We did not have to hold the secret in. We were able to talk about it. We were able to ask them questions about pregnancy and about parenting. And just to kind of have it be out there, the coffee that was made in the morning was decaf, which is great. You know, and, and we even one day went down to Canterbury to look at the cathedral down there. And, I mean, I was, I was traveling with a pregnant friend, and so she said, I know that we're seeing all the sights, and I know that it's the middle of the day, but how would you feel about us all going back to our rooms and taking naps? <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like the best thing ever, you know? Um, so to be together while we were both going through this, I mean, just has such a sweet memory. And then on this trip to California, when we were reconnected with them 
10 years later. Um, both of those children, now the same age, both boys, um, so these nine-year-old boys, and then since then we have both had um, another round of boys also the same age. And so for these kids who had never met before, for us all to watch them like pummeling each other, throwing each other to the floor was so fun. I mean, actually, I'm going to tell you something maybe I shouldn't say in church, but um, afterwards, as we're driving away from their house, um, we said to our sons, did you have fun playing together? And um, one of my sons said, yeah, it was so awesome. I showed them my rat claws. And, And we said, oh no, did you scratch those boys? And our son said, yeah, but it's not, prob- it's not a problem because they kicked me in the crotch repeatedly. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I said to my friend later, like, was everything okay? And she's like, they had a great time. I mean, everybody was just like attacking each other and loving each other. And what fun to see who these babies had become. And so, so what I think about in this season of Advent is we celebrate this baby who becomes word made flesh and comes to live among us. But who does this baby become? And there's this story that I want to start off with that I love, particularly this second week of Advent, um, of these two pregnant women coming together, both expecting children. And it's, it just, I love reading it because it speaks to me of God's kindness and graciousness that God provided a friend for the other. And so I'm just going to read a little bit of this passage from Luke 1. So um, as the angel is talking to Mary, telling her this wild news that she was pregnant with the Messiah, the last thing he says is, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left. And what did Mary do? Well, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with spirit. And I'm going to read more of this here in just a second. But I just want to identify that that Elizabeth had actually been in seclusion for five months after they had learned that that they were expecting who would be John the Baptist. Um, So she had been in seclusion. That seclusion is broken upon Mary's arrival. And so here these two women have each other to go through this, like, these very crazy pregnancies and also just to, like, talk this through. They've also had these spiritual experiences. They have someone who gets it. And I just think, oh, that is so encouraging and so beautiful and just the way that God is. So let's keep reading this story. Okay, where did I leave off? I got so excited to say that. Okay, so... I think I'm at, um, in a loud voice, I think I'm at about verse 42 here, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my, in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And, and next is a part that we think of as the Magnificat, um, Mary's song. And she's saying this in the company of Elizabeth. And she says, she, what she does here is she actually talks about the character of God. And so Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I just, I, I love this picture of these two women talking about what God has done among them and talking about the character of God, testifying to what they know God to be like, and even some glimpses of what this Jesus will be like. And I've thought in this season about um, the song, uh, What Child Is This? And I've thought about the question that that asks, what child is this? And that that is the question that we contemplate. That is the question that we come to Christmas with. What child is this? Because it's not just Jesus the baby who's going to stay a baby. Jesus is someone becoming something. And what we celebrate on Christmas is who Jesus is and is becoming These are not inseparable. And the same with John the Baptist. This little baby, oh, how great that Zachariah and Elizabeth were able to have this child. But also, but also, John the Baptist had a specific call and a role in this greater story of God's kingdom. What child is this? And the song goes on to say, as we know, what child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping. So our question is, who is this Jesus? Who is this child? And as you know, we've been studying the Gospel of John here on Sunday mornings, and the passage that we're talking about today is in John 5. And if you were here last week or caught Pastor Scott's sermon, you know that there's the story of this healing on the Sabbath that happens at this pool of Bethesda. And after it, of course, um, there are critics of Jesus who are in this situation very unhappy that he healed on the Sabbath, but there's a deeper concern that they have. 
The deeper concern that they have is that Jesus is likening himself to God. They are concerned about the heresy here, that this man is saying he's God, and they're very concerned about it. Well, this passage that we have today, which is quite lengthy, is Jesus's response. And there are not very many places in the Gospels where Jesus actually testifies, where he actually explains who he is. This is a place where he's pretty bold with who he is. He doesn't come right out and say some of the things, but he's pretty bold. And, and what he does is, I've, I've thought a lot of the students in the room who are wrapping up semesters, because what he does is he kind of does what you're supposed to do in a paper where he has two main points, and then he has some sub points. And I don't know, it doesn't seem like my slides, oh, maybe my slides are working. Oh, that's great. Okay, I was nervous they weren't because it's a long passage, so you're going to need to see the slides. Okay, so we're going to jump in here to this passage, which is John 5, 18 through 47. And how I have organized this is I started off with a slide that tells you like this question that I just talked about. And then as I give you Jesus's answer, um, I have just a little part of the passage and above it, I have like a summary in my own words of what I think Jesus is trying to say. So if, and, and I've done that honestly, because I think that this passage can be a little bit confusing to read straight through. So you may, maybe would summarize things differently than I would, but but this is how we'll do it. Okay, so John 5, 18 through 47. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. So point number one that Jesus is about to make he's going to say something along the lines of, I do the same stuff that God does. And then he's going to have some sub points. So he says this, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So his, the first thing he's saying is, I and the Father are one. We do the same stuff. And now we're heading into some examples. Example number one of the Father and I doing the same stuff. We bring dead people back to life. This is the first example. Verse 21, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. What this is going to build towards, I mean, obviously it's going to build towards Jesus' own crucifixion and resurrection, but we're not far from the story of Lazarus here. So we're going to see that happening real soon. So there's a foreshadowing that this leads to of Jesus actually raising someone from the dead. So, so the first thing, the Father and I, we do the same stuff. For example, we bring dead people back to life. And then, example number two. For example, it's my job to judge sin. And so what we say in verse 22, moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The Father and I do the same things. We bring back death to life. Jesus judges sin. These two things. We are in the question of what child is this? What is Jesus telling us about himself? We heard what Mary is saying about her son, and now we're hearing what Jesus has to say about himself. What he's saying is he can bring things back to life, and he can judge sin. In fact, it is his job to judge sin. Now, he moves on to point number three. Did I mention I can bring the dead back to life? So in verse 25, he says, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. We are going to hear Jesus say before too long, I am the resurrection and the life. We also have these instances in scripture of Jesus not just raising Lazarus, not just coming back to life himself, but also there was this widow at Nain whose son had died. Her husband had died and now her son had died and she was left with very little and Jesus took compassion on her and brings her son unexpectedly back to life. She didn't even ask him. Jesus just took compassion and decided on his own. No, you need your son. There is Jairus' daughter. Do you remember Jairus who came seeking out Jesus? Who, they were stopped on the way by the bleeding woman, but Jesus goes to Jairus' house and brings this little girl back to life. When Jesus says, and also... Let me remind you, I can bring people back to life. It happens again and again and again throughout Jesus' life. I am the resurrection and the life. What child is this? This is a child who has defeated sin and death. In summary to point number one, Jesus will say, So point number one said, it's my job to judge sin, and I can raise the dead to life. And so in verse 27, he says, and he has given him authority to judge because because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and, gosh, my notes here are dark, Only as I hear and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now, what he says here, he talks about all these dead people coming out of their tombs. Are you familiar with the crazy story that happens during the crucifixion narrative where a lot of people are raised to life? Do you know this story? It's in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 27. We'll go to this next slide if you're, 
If, oh yeah, okay. So in Matthew 27, this is, Jesus has just died. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people, many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. Can you imagine how crazy this is? They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. (laughs) I, I mean, we don't talk about that a whole lot in Christian tradition, but I mean, it's not, I mean, Jesus rose from the dead, but also like a lot of other people did. How insane, how crazy. Um, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and explained, exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. I mean, that is wild. So when Jesus says in John 5, all of these people are going to respond to my voice and come out of their tombs, He actually means it. He is the resurrection and the life. This is who he is. And now he moves on to point number two. And I think in this of, um, you know, in my own journey as a female pastor, one of the things that I've had a few times unkindly said to me is, well, obviously you can make a case... (laughs) I shouldn't say it's so snarky. Um, But I've had it said to me, um, well, obviously you can make a case for yourself being a female pastor because it just, it benefits you. But I'd like to actually hear a male pastor, a male theologian talk about it because they wouldn't have the self-interest that you have, which made it particularly meaningful when in seminary, um, both my master's and my doctoral degree programs, I had some male professors who like really helped untangle some of the difficult biblical passages for me and helped me make sense of some of that theology for myself. And so when Jesus says here in our passage, the next thing he says is he says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. So he's saying, Um, I'm going to lean on something else other than my own feelings about this. So so now he's going to summon some letters of recommendation from some, some, some supporting sources. So he says, there is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. So he's going to bring in three references that will prove that he actually is the son of God, that he actually is who he says he is. And so... Call to the witness stand, John the Baptist. (laughs) These mothers, pregnant with these two sweet babies. John the Baptist, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. John the Baptist has a similar thing in the same way that Jesus is being asked these questions now and is responding to this, to these critiques. That happens to John in chapter 3. And what John the Baptist says is he says, you know, I am not the Messiah. I am here to help you prepare for the Messiah. And he says, I am excited about the Messiah. I am joyful about the Messiah. He makes it clear he knows who he is. And he supports who Jesus is. John the Baptist, letter of recommendation number one. 
Letter of recommendation, number two, and this is kind of a heavy-hitting letter of recommendation. God the Father. (laughs) This is his second supporting source. And he says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works of the Father, the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Now, at this point, Jesus stops what he's doing for a second, and he will get to his third letter of recommendation, um, which I'll just tell you is Moses. Um, (laughs) But he does this thing, which actually I think is important for us as the people of God to hear as well. He does this little side note where he says, do you even know God? You know, do you even know who I am? You have been studying the scriptures your whole life. Like, do you not even see? Like, I see your hearts don't even, aren't even filled with love. You're not even attentive to what I'm doing in your midst. And there's this concern that Jesus has for these people who have been studying God all their lives. And I think this is an important one for us to be attentive to as well. But this question, I'm going to skip to this. What child is this. Mary talks about this God of justice, this God of mercy, this God who honors the humble. And Jesus himself says, I've been sent by God. John testifies to it. And even the law of Moses testifies to who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I can bring the dead back to life, and I can judge sin. I have defeated sin and death. This is what Jesus says about himself, this baby Jesus. Who do we say that Jesus is? Do we notice Jesus in our midst? Because It boils down to this. Jesus says, you study the scriptures diligently, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I am the resurrection and the life. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. You're looking for approval from one another, but the only approval you need is mine. And so I think for us, in this season where we celebrate this baby, let us not forget this Jesus who has defeated sin and death, who calls the dead out of their graves, who is the only approval we need, who is the only opinion that we need, who can bring life back to the death in us, to the places in our own lives that feel flat. Jesus is the one who can restore them. We've heard stories today in our service about answered prayers. This is our Jesus. What do you need God to breathe life back into? Where do you need God to speak, to call the dead out of their tombs? Because that is who this baby is. And so how that Christmas song 
that we sing continues is it says, this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Haste, friends. This good God who provides a friend for these pregnant women, who overcomes sin, who overcomes death, hurry to celebrate him. Not just the baby, but also the risen king. We're going to continue in worship. And so I'd love to invite the worship team to come up. And I'd like to offer a prayer for us. And I'm going to start off with just a moment of silence that you might take a moment to think about those places in your own life that you need to experience that resurrection and that life that you might gaze on the goodness of Jesus and invite God to speak into those places in your life and and maybe in our world. So let's just take a moment of silence and then I'll pray and we'll um, close with worship. Jesus, We desire to quickly run to you with the things in our life and in our world that feel like they are dying or dead. We hold these before you, you who have defeated sin and death. You are good and kind. And we celebrate that you are the word who is made flesh. We offer you our prayers and our offerings today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet and let's continue in worship. You are here Moving in our midst I worship you I worship you your way maker.
Is he your light in the darkness? Is he your miracle worker? This is exactly what Jamie was speaking on today. Where do you, where do we need to experience the God of the universe? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The life, the resurrection, and the life. Where do we need to experience that in our lives today? Jamie, thank you. Thank you for bringing the word today. May we go in peace and may we take that and ponder that and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that space in our lives. And some of us may know. Some of us may know exactly where we need to experience resurrection, new life, found in Jesus and Jesus alone. I pray the Spirit may reveal that to you this week. Highlight that to us this week. Give us a next step this week as well. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Enjoy it. And journey youth, we'll see you at 6 at the Y. Have a great week.